First Kings chapter 18, verse 1. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab, and there was a severe famine in Samaria. And Ahab had called Obadiah, listen to the word of God, who was in charge of his house. Now Obadiah feared God greatly. For so it was, while Jezebel, this woman that was possessed by the devil to destroy God's people, while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah, he risked his life. He had taken 100 prophets and hidden them, 50 to a cave, and had fed them secretly with bread and water. And Ahab said to Obadiah, Go into the land, to all the springs of water, and to all the brooks. Perhaps we may find grass to keep the horses and mules alive, so that we will not have to kill any livestock. So they divided the land between them to explore. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. They're scouting the land. Now, as Obadiah was on his way, suddenly, the man of God shows up. Elijah met him. And he recognized him, and this mighty noble in this king's army, as soon as he saw Elijah, he was alarmed. Because he knew God's powers with this man. He had an understanding that this could be the deciding moment for my fate. He recognized him and he fell on his face and said, Is that you, my Lord, Elijah? And he answered, It is I. Go, tell your master, Elijah is here. So he said, How have I sinned that you are delivering your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord the God lifts, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when they said, he's not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could not find you. He made them swear. He went knocking on his neighbor's doors and asked them, did you see Elijah the Tishbite? Did you see that man? They said, no, we haven't seen him. He swear. Only then did he move on. He was determined to kill all the servants of God, and especially Elijah. And what happens? And now Obadiah says, if he knows that you're here, he's going to kill me, as if I have something to do with you, I'm protecting you. Or you disappear. What if you disappear? All these things can work in this man's mind, evil mind. And he had a wife who was possessed of the devil. Every time this man, who was not as strong as her in evil, he was very evil, but she was even more evil, when he began to get a little bit weary that I can't do the evil I want to do, she was right there to tell him, yes you can, go do it. What a wife. Someone to really stand behind the man to make sure she does the devil's will. And he does the devil's will. This was the opposition Elijah was facing. Obadiah is afraid. And it shall come to pass as soon as I'm gone from you that the Spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know. 
So when I go and tell Ahab, he's going to think it's a mockery? You have something to do with this? You're angering me? You're gone. I'm going to replace you. So when I go and tell Ahab, and he cannot find you, he will kill me. How a desperate situation. This is not a simple matter of, well, I thought he was there and he's not there. Oh, well, I'll go look for him again. I know it's going to be hard on the feet. I'm going to be very tired and it's difficult in the wilderness, but I'll go again. No, it's a matter of life and death for him. So he's giving that to the man of God. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Please don't do this to me. Don't make me go and tell him that you're here, then you're going to disappear. He's going to kill me. Do you know that I fear the Lord? Was it not reported to my Lord? Let me prove it to you. What I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid 100 men of the Lord's prophets, 50 to a cave, and fed them with bread and water. Your people, your fellow prophets, I took care of them. And now you say, go tell your master Elijah's here. He will kill me. Then Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. Elijah was taken to hide himself. The prophets were hidden. There was a period in which the people of God have to hide themselves. But then there's a period when God says, now be bold and come forward because I'm going to have a showdown with the enemy. I'm going to show you that I'm going to take down the enemy. Not only will I destroy the power of the enemy in your life and in your family, I will cause you to turn around and pursue the enemy until you destroy them. You destroy the enemies. So Obadiah went out to meet Ahab and told him. He believed. Even though his life was hanging in the balance, how many believers have a hard time, it's an oxymoron, sounds like contradiction, have a hard time believing God's word? They call themselves believers, but they said, yeah, but let's see what's going to happen tomorrow. Do you believe the word of the Lord? Or do you believe on tomorrow? We can never go by the weather. We need to go by God's word in our lives. Obadiah believed on the spot. It was so critical that his life was hanging in the balance. But when the word of God came to the servant of God, he said, I have everything I need. Because you told me, the man who stands in the presence of God, that this man will not kill me, I can go and tell him. Boldness came in. When the word of God comes to you, you have boldness to do the things that you thought you couldn't do. In honor of God. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? In other words, because of you, we have no rain. We have a famine, things are chaotic. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to solve the problem by killing you. That was his understanding. Elijah answered, I have not trouble, Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals or the Baals. Now therefore, send and gather all Israel to me. You caused a problem, Ahab. It's you and your people who did not want the voice of God, the will of God to be done. He said, go gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. They had demons that were worshipping. They were worshipping. 
The people of God, defeat comes into our life when doors are open for the devil to come in one way or the other. God is going to put a full stop because he loves the people of God. He has sent a man to say there's going to be a showdown. And God is going to cleanse this land. God is going to stop the work of Satan. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. And the people answered him not a word. People of no character. People who just have their arms folded and sit there and think, I don't have to say a word. You can ask any question, God. I have my own mind. I'll do what I want to do when I want to do it, the way I want to do it. And if you're in with my plan, then we'll talk. That self is a, abhorrent to God. Something that is hateful. These people were given a question to determine the destiny. They didn't answer word. And Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Next verse. 18.23 Therefore let them give us two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves. This is the practice. In every culture in history you'll see sacrifices were a part of their worship. One way or another. The problem is God gave the true system and the devil brought the false system. And people began to think the more animals we sacrifice, the more things we do, we can somehow appease the God or the gods. That's the way they lived. But God said, no, there's a very specific reason. The life of the flesh is in the blood. I've given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. There's a very specific purpose God gives sacrificial system until the Messiah came. So they're used to it. It's no matter. We'll find a bull. We'll find an animal. Whatever you want to do. And you yourself have said, there's one of you and 450 of us plus our friends. You're that bold? You really think that you can win? It's the devil. The devil will come to you and say, you really think you can win? You have a history of being alone. And every time you had your hopes get up high, it came crashing down. And the devil says, same thing's going to happen again. But God said, no. God said, I have called for a showdown in your life to destroy the work of the devil. Therefore, let, us, let them give us two bulls, and let them choose one bull for themselves, cut in pieces, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Very odd. You need to have fire. Then you call on the name of the Lord your God, and the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, He is God. There's a time in our lives when we need to have faith and believe that when God pushes us into a challenging situation, 
that we can actually hold on to the Word of God regardless of the odds and be able to say and declare God's going to get the victory. Faith has to be exercised. And the more we exercise faith, the more it will grow. Elijah had faith. He was full of faith. So all the people answered. Now they talk. They said, you said right. It's well spoken. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one bull for yourselves and prepare first, for you are many. And call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So they took the bull which was given them and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning even till noon. Breakfast time to lunch time. What did they do? Oh Baal, hear us, hear us, hear us, hear us, hear us, Baal, hear us. But there was no voice. No one answered. Then they leaped on top of the altar which they had made. We started losing it, and so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry louder, cry aloud. He's a God, right? Isn't he a God? Either he's meditating somewhere, or he's busy, or he's on a journey, and perhaps he's sleeping and must be awakened. God gave the boldness to tell them, No matter what you do, the real God is with me. We need to be able to say that. We need to be able to have that assurance that I have the living God. I have the living God with me. The living God will bring life into my situation. So they cried aloud. Elijah told them, go ahead, cry louder. In other words, do everything you want to do, devil. Everything you want to do against God's will and God's work. You're going to see who's superior. So they cried aloud and cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and the lances until the blood gushed out. On the, what kind of sacrifice is this? The very demons that led them into that kind of sacrifice began to torment them. They began to torment themselves. They literally cut themselves. They thought, you know what, the blood that the demons see, maybe it'll make the demons get excited and they'll start putting on a show for us. And when midday was passed, they prophesied, quote unquote, until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to him. All the people came near to him. Hundreds and hundreds of people. Can you imagine that scene? And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. The word altar is very familiar to Christians because oftentimes we speak about family altar. We need to repair the family, family altar. Whereas we may, may have prayed before with another member of our family or all the members and it became a regular thing. That altar of the Lord is in shambles. We can pass by the kitchen and see the altar of the Lord in the hallway in shambles. We can go to the living room and it's still in shambles. Nobody cares about it. If the altar is not repaired, the fire won't fall. Elijah repaired the altar. If you're hearing the voice of God today, you need to be the one to repair first, not the altar in the community, not the altar in the churches that are dead, 
first and foremost, your own altar and your family altar. Amen? That's where it starts. In your family, how is God's altar? Is it being used or is it broken? Are you praying to the Lord? That's what the altar stands for. The altar stands for seeking God. And in the family, we have to say, Lord, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Only the Lord. Elijah, and Elijah took 12 stones. You see the reparation that's happening here? It's not a personal, private thing that he says, well, I'm the only prophet of God, so I'm going to repair this altar so God can show everybody who I am. The heart of the prophet is for God and the people of God always. A true Christian will have tremendous compassion for the people. Because it's not enough for me to get mine. I want to make sure everybody else comes to God too. Especially my family. Elijah took 12 stones. In other words, that 12 represents the completion. In other words, it's covering the totality of the nation that's gone astray. The whole nation is worshipping Baal. Except for the prophets of God. This evil woman is going around with her husband, killing the prophets of God. She wants to wipe them out from the land. Massacre. Elijah was sent by God to reverse the whole thing on the devil. Same thing he wants to do in your family. He wants to use you to reverse the whole thing on the devil. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Yisrael, Israel, shall be your name. What is Israel? Prince with God. Jacob was a supplanter. He was a deceiver. He was a person who was out for himself. But God came to him at that pivotal moment in his life and gave him an opportunity to do what? Wrestle? Which means to press in and say, God, I'm not letting you go until you change me. Until you change me. Until you bless me. I'm not letting you go. And God blessed him. Turned his name to Israel. To these people, God has sent Elijah to repair the altar with not one stone, not for Elijah and his immediate family and tribe, all 12 tribes. That's what God is up to in your life. He wants to use you to save your family. As I said many times before, from the Word of God, there's no middle ground. There's no purgatory. There's no second chance once somebody dies. This is the probation. This is the point at which, in your family, people are either on their way to heaven or they're not. And the alternative to heaven is always hell. God is bringing Elijah. God could have just said, forget about all of them. He could have said, you know what? After all I've done for them, they have the nerve to not only stop worshipping me, but they're going to bring in Baal and worship him right in front of my face. See the heart of God? He cares about your family. As much as God pronounces the word accurate, accurate, that this will happen for sure if people don't repent. So much as compassion also comes to give everybody a second chance. Then with the stones he built, an altar in the name of the Lord. 
and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two seers of seed. And he put the wood in order, he arranged it the way it should be, and laid it, uh, cut the pieces, the bullet pieces, and laid it on the wood, and said, fill four water pots with water, and pour it on the bird sacrifice and on the wood. Again, something that you don't do, because you're supposed to burn that. God himself has caused the challenge to rise. In other words, God, just like in Egypt, let Pharaoh do his maximum. And when he's at his apex, the most he can do, I'm going to cut him down to size. Amen? God will allow sometimes the enemy to do all his tricks and stunts, and then he will shut him down permanently. Then he said, do it a second time. Challenge is more. What happens when you put water on wood? Is it going to burn easily? Of course not. When you put more water, more water, it's not going to burn. Why did God do this? He's showing, regardless of what the devil has done in your life, regardless of what he's trying to do, I'm going to put a full stop to him. Then he said, do it a second time, and they did it a second time, and he said, do it a third time, and they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar, and he also filled the trench with water. Opposite to the fire. And it came to pass at the evening, the time of the evening, the offering of the evening sacrifice, that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel. They have a lot of gods right now. Lot of gods. They have self. They have the media. They have the music. They have their literature. They have their fun times. They have their all these parties are happening. Lots of gods in the land. God is watching. Elijah said, Lord, let them know who's God. Lord, let them know that you are God in Israel and I'm your servant. And that I have done all these things. Elijah didn't say, well, let me do some more to just step up the battle. He did it because God was speaking to him. That's not written there. It's not explicitly stated that God was talking to him all throughout. God will speak to you. Some of you are thinking, how can I reach my loved one? The heart seems so hard. God is able to take that heart of stone, ground it into soil. Do you believe that? God is able to do that miracle. He can take the hard heart and turn it into soil to absorb. But it takes somebody like Elijah, somebody that is dedicated to God, not just offering prayers of vain hopes and, Lord, I'm hoping and I'm hoping, but believing, believing, believing. I'm your servant that I've done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord. Hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. There are people in your family who not only don't want God, maybe because they've been hurt by people who acted like they came from God, they were false. Maybe because they made decisions that caused them to get so depressed and so ashamed that they say, God does not, not, not even want me. He doesn't even want me. The people who have decided 
I can, I can handle life without God. Thank you. So another group of people in your family who know they need God. Deep down inside they know, but they're running from Him. To both groups of people. The miracle of God can happen. God can touch them so that what was impossible, a person in his own world, in her own world, and saying to everybody, I'm fine, leave me alone. I don't need God. And if you talk about God, I have God my way, I don't need God your way. Because they're blind. They don't know, they don't have life. And I'm telling you, based on God's word that is given today, God is able to send a fire where he will get their attention and they will know unmistakably this is the living God. And I am called to follow him. Hear me, O Lord. Hear me that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. What a word of faith. Did their hearts turn back to God then? No. In his prayer, he's speaking words of faith. It's not just declare and claim it. Because Elijah's walking with God when he speaks, even in prayer, just like prophecy. It's a prophecy. It's happening. The waters are being stirred. God is on the move. God's spirit is moving. He has spoken. If he's spoken, it's happening. He said that, Lord, let them know that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Next verse. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice. With all the water, three times on the wood and everything there, and the trenches filled, the fire of God fell. It was not a lighter. It was not a torch. It was not a matchstick. It was not a, another piece of wood with a big flame. It came directly from heaven. Everybody saw it. They're in shock. The fire of God fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Tell me, is God not all victorious? All victorious. He said, I will consume all that is against you. All. It wasn't over. When all the people, now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces. Can you just see them dropping? All the falling. And they're saying, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, they just saw the fire of God. He is God. They're saying, oh my God. We never saw Baal do this. We never even heard his, heard his voice. God showed them undeniably. You know what? Through the miracle that God has done in you, the miracle that God is doing in you, your people, your family will see. This is the living God. Oh my God. I have seen God work in your life. What that will do is, that's going to cause their faith to rise. That's why it's so important that every church in the New Testament period, every church, if the church is following the Bible and following God, will have a demonstration of the Spirit and power. Amen? Every church, every Christian, if the power is not demonstrated, that means they have a dead religion. Many people are turned away from God 
Not because of atheists, but because of Christians with no character, no power. That's the truth. People who talk about Jesus, and they sing about Jesus, and they say, I'm a Christian, and only Jesus, praise God, hallelujah, but there's no power. So what do the people do? Can you blame them? They say, well, you talk about power and fire, but you're just as good as the next religion, so don't make me swallow your version, okay? But when the people of God, when God shows His fire, your people will see that it's the living God. Your people will see that. They'll be drawn to that. They'll say, oh my God, how did you get free from that? I thought you're always going to be stuck in that. How did you get this financial miracle? You're supposed to be a loser. You're supposed to be a person with holes in your pocket. That's the story of your life. How in the world did you get up to this level? That's when we can say, my God is real, that's how. My God is real. How did you get cured from this disease? I said, the living God, hallelujah. But they said you're supposed to die. Not when God is with me, hallelujah. Emmanuel is with me. Jesus' blood is on my life. People in this church whose marriages were dead, because God resurrected their marriage that was dead, friends began to listen. And they want to know, how did that happen? And when the answer comes back, God, yeah, but how did that happen? Somehow there's a disconnect. The God of the Bible is not really able to do this here now because this is so far gone. There's no way. And plus, I went to this person and that church and I heard that message and this and that and nothing happened. So the conclusion is, God must not want me to stay married. All of these rationalizations, the devil is there to rob people of the blessing, to split them. Divide and conquer. That's his motto. Divide and conquer. But when people are touched by God, when people believe God, they're able to say, Lord, you're a miracle-working God. And other people, even Christians, and especially Christians, they get to hear and they say, oh my God. And they recognize, I thought I knew God, but I didn't. What do you have? You know what's happened? The Spirit of God has quickened them. The Spirit of God has done a wonder and a miracle. There has been a demonstration. This is what Paul the Apostle said. My preaching was not merely words. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Amen? Elijah didn't just go there and give a sermon. There was power. There must be a demonstration of the spirit and power. God wants to ask you, would you be Elijah? Would you be Elijah? People desperately need the hearts of the fathers turn back to the hearts of the children. People's families are in disarray. They need the children to turn back to the fathers. In other words, it's speaking about genuine love. In the last days, the Bible says, many people's hearts will wax cold. They'll be self-centered. Oh, they'll celebrate. They'll say, happy birthday, I love you, I love you very much, I love you very, very much, I love you very, very, I love you with sugar on top and cherry on top and I love you to death. But they really love themselves. Talk is cheap. These people, they seem to be getting along very well. Except there was no God there. They had the false God. They were dying. God wants to use you 
to wake up people. Before that can happen, before the fire of God can fall, we need to repair the altar. We need to repair the altar. What does the altar stand for? Prayer. It stands for worship. First, your own altar. You know, the problem is, when people huddle together, even in churches or families, and they say, well, I know we should do this. What's that? Have church. Every Sunday we have to have church. And the devil says, have church. I'll be right there with you. Have prayer. We know we're supposed to have prayer. So, sweetheart, will you come to pray? Come on, children, let's gather to pray. And they pray, it's cold and dead, and people say, why do we ever do this? We could have been watching football. I've gone to the ice cream store. Who are we fooling? There's no life. You know why? Because before the family altar can have the fire of God, your personal altar must have the fire. The fire from every individual comes together for a huge bonfire. That's where God will move mightily. But God's not speaking words to discourage. He's telling you, in the life of Elijah, what is going to happen in your life. Do you believe it? I didn't say what can happen. What is going to happen? Hallelujah. Elijah said. Hallelujah. Elijah said. Elijah said. Lord, let them know that you have turned the hearts back to you. Hallelujah. Faith. Faith. Faith speaks things that it doesn't see with the natural eye. It's not heard. I didn't hear about the rays. But God said, the rays is coming. You know how many people have heard the prophecy in this church? No rays is possible. They've actually told and sent a departmental a, a correspondent saying, no raises. Guess who gets the raise? The person that heard the prophecy and believed, they got the raise. It's happened here time and time again. What is God saying to that? That God is focusing on money? That, that He wants to make you all comfortable and well in this life only? No. He's showing you. What I can do in the natural is a precursor. I'm showing you, just like we heard on New Year's Day, New Year's Eve. I'm telling you what's going to happen, and I'm sending you confirmation. And it happens. Are we going to be alive and on fire for God? We need to believe. Everything I'm hearing about Elijah, I say, God, in myself, that's me, that's my life. He expects you to say it too. You don't have to be a preacher, you don't have to be a minister, because you're a believer and a child of God. That's why it says in the book of James, Elijah was a man just like us. He also was subject to human feelings. But he didn't walk by his feelings. He exercised faith. When he prayed, the heavens were shut. He prayed again, heavens opened. Why would James, in the New Testament, talk about this amazing prophet who was in a class by himself? James, inspired by the Spirit of God, is talking to believers that you too can be like Elijah. You too can be a person who says, Jehovah is my God. Jesus is my God. My God is alive. When the challenges come, when I don't have money for something, I'm not going to say, oh boy, I don't have money, and I don't have money, I don't have money. I'm going to say, because I'm close with God, God will provide. God will provide. God expects you to exercise faith in the little things. Then he will give you faith for bigger things. We have to put it to work. 
The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. They confessed. Verse 40. And Elijah said to them, look at this. He didn't say, well, I'm glad you agree. I'm glad that finally it's gotten into your thick heads. You, you're back now, okay? Well, my job is done. I'm going to go home and get a good nap because it was pretty hard today. I had to put up with all of you. He said, seize them. Catch him, her, her, all of the people that were there. Do not let one of them escape. This was a promise for this year. Christians are not weak people because Christ is not weak. Amen? Jesus is almighty. Because we're in him, we have nothing to fear. We should not fear. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. He's given us a spirit of power, of love, and a sound mind. He said, seize them. Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them. They caught them. Hundreds of them. They grabbed them. So they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. What does that show? In the New Testament, we're not called to do any of physical things like this at all. We need to understand that the nation of God were facing physical confrontations. Satan was inspiring Moab, Syria and the north. He was inspiring Egypt, inspiring Edom in the south. All these nations were moved by the devil to snuff out Israel. Why? Because they had the devil as their captive. They were bent on it, just like today, certain nations on the planet, in the Middle East, some of the leaders have sworn, they even have it in writing, that we live to destroy Israel. Can you imagine that? We won't be settled until we wipe Israel off the map. That's the animosity, animosity from the devil. So is God going to stand by and say, oh well, you're just going to do nothing about it? No, he said, I'm going to mobilize you. David, go and do this. Gideon, go do this. Samson, do this with the Philistines. Moses, do this. Joshua, the Amalekites, get rid of them. Why? Because these were puppets of the devil. But that whole history is done. But it's a picture for us, real history, to show that addictions cannot have the upper hand in your life. That addictions will be broken and that you have to pursue it until it's leveled and destroyed. It's not enough to say, well, I didn't smoke today. You have to say, I have not smoked and I will never smoke again. Hallelujah. That's victory. That's pursuing the enemy and destroying the enemy. It's not enough to say, well, I have these restful thoughts and I gave in Tuesday and I gave in last Monday and I had a pretty good week in between, but I don't know what happened. I guess this is what will happen. No. God said, pursue that evil until you wipe it out of your life with the power of God. So that not a hint of sexual immorality will be in your life. That goes for men, women, and children. God's people are holy. What I watch, what I hear, they can pollute me. It's not enough to say, well, I didn't see the dirty things, but did I see the common things that have dirty innuendos? You know what I mean? Just advertisements. A little catalog in the mail. After all, it's Macy's. After all, it's this. But if you know that there are things there that the devil is trying to make you look at, 
You need to throw that in the trash. In fact, in fact, don't even bring it to the house. You need to do whatever it takes. That's what it meant, is meant by pursuing the enemy. You don't look at the neighbor and say, well, he can have it in his home. You say, for me, my soul is more precious. Pursuing the enemies means every avenue that the devil has access to bring me, not only into the red zone, danger zone, but into the gray areas. You know how the enemy operates? The Philistines with the Goliath, did they come right in and destroy? No, they moved in. A siege happened. We heard about Syria. Samaria, the siege, what happened? The devil sets up shop. Many Christians let the devil set up shop. And when they get slaughtered, they wonder what happened. But God, I was praying, I was seeking. The problem is, they've allowed the enemy to camp right around them. They didn't say anything about it. Whatever you have that you know will lead you to sin, it may not be sin in and of itself. In other words, the battle is not on yet. But you know that this is going to lead to it. Get rid of that. God's wisdom will enable us to see evil from a mile away. I'm not going that way. Certain people I talk to, yeah, they may be Christian, but when I'm around them, somehow I start feeling a little loose. You don't have to go and badmouth them. You pray for them. You protect your soul. Don't be around people who the devil used to drag you down. God hasn't called us to love everybody to the point where we don't love ourselves. He says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you know how to protect yourself, you can help protect other people. But if I'm going around with no discernment, I say, oh, I'm supposed to love him and love her, and, you know, they want to have a Bible study and they want to have a prayer meeting, why not? Isn't it all the same? Is every church the same? You just need a steeple and a cross, right? It's the same. No, it's not the same. Is every Christian the same? No. It's true, people are on different levels of growth, but there are people who are carnal. Yeah, they got saved, but they're not following the Spirit. And so they will be the ones the devil use to say, did you hear that rock and roll song? Meanwhile, you're keeping yourself away from all that stuff. They just drop a little line there, and the devil said, that's enough for you. You know what you do? Well, that's my brother, my sister. I guess it's okay for him. After all, they didn't sing it. They just mentioned it. That's enough. Any gray area that you know. Because the devil has that hook. He's just trying to drag you into the red zone. This is why God has history like this in the Bible. Elijah didn't say, now everybody knows the Lord is God. Baal didn't have his fire come down. It was the living God. And everybody knows who I am. The job wasn't done. In the Bible, the Bible talks about crucifixion. That means put to death every desire that is contrary to the will of God. The Spirit of God, in the book of Galatians says, is hostile to the flesh. The flesh is hostile to the Spirit. Then in Galatians it says, so that you end up doing the things that you don't want to do. It's in Galatians. Romans 7 has a big... Uh, exposition on that. Where Paul is saying, the things I want to do, I'm not doing, and the things I don't want to do, I'm not uh, able to do. But at the end of that, you see, who's going to deliver me from this war? That's what Paul is saying. He's not talking present tense. He's talking representatively. Paul already conquered. 
There's no sin in that man. But he's writing to the Romans to tell them, the Christians, the believers, there is a struggle. When you want to do the right thing, there's a principle in your flesh that will try to rise up against that. But you have to crucify that so that it does not get the upper hand. That's how we walk in the Spirit. So there's so much to learn in the Word of God. But when we see an Old Testament narrative like this, God is showing us clearly, when God said, here's the sword, don't just do a little dash and then walk home. He said, use it till the enemy is gone. Which means pursue unbelief, immorality, self-abuse, abuse of other people, bitterness, jealousy, wrath, sorcery, all the works of the flesh in Galatians 5. When you see that list of 17 sins that are explicitly stated, and then a whole host of others, we have an exact guidebook, a manual to know, when I am bitter, I'm in the flesh, i got to watch it now. I'm not going to rest until I kill this thing out of my life. And pray to God. You see, it's one thing to say, Lord, I never want to be angry again for the wrong way, the wrong cause. Because I keep falling for anger. It's important to pray and trust God that He'll remove it permanently. But it's also important to read the Word of God and watch out for what? The gray areas. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs that leave off contention or strife before it masters you, before trouble happens. So the moment we know there's an argument that's brewing, don't jump into it. Step back. Don't give it a foothold. Don't even give it a toehold. Because the toehold will turn into a foothold, will turn into a stronghold. The devil always moves in by degrees. Elijah destroyed every one of them. You know why? No more pollution is left. In your life, if TV, if music, magazines, conversations, going to certain people's homes too, we need to realize and understand, these are things we're not taught a lot of times. But there are evil spirits, just like there's the Holy Spirit, there are evil spirits. And again, they won't come directly. Seldom do you go to a Christian's home where they'll walk up to you and say, would you like to smoke this? Unless they really, really backslid. But it'll be more like, let's watch something together. And in that particular film, the devil have a little hook on, look, that handsome man is smoking. And in the mind, all of a sudden, the dots will get connected, or that beautiful girl is smoking. I remember when I smoked, before you know it, the siege is laid there. We need to be able to pick up on these things. There are gray areas that the devil wants to drag us into because he wants Goliath to come and do what he has to do. Elijah took it very seriously. God says to you and me, Put to death the deeds of the flesh. There are people I know who were enslaved to pornography. And they went and bought the paraphernalia. And they watched it. And they felt terrible afterwards. Because God convicted them. And they said, this is, this is disgusting. This is, this is wrong. I would want to think about my spouse or my daughter or my sister like this. What's going on with me? the flesh, evil. But it doesn't stop there. They may even take that thing and say, this is out of my house, I don't want it ever again. You know what? They leave the key in the devil's hands. 
So he can open that door anytime he wants. We need to burn the bridges. Burn every bridge to bail. Amen? Everything that will lead you to sin, burn it for good. A person has to come to the point that if my cell phone is the avenue of dirty behavior and filthy mind, I'd rather not have a phone. Somebody says, that is impossible. I can't breathe without the thing. But how many years people have gone without it? Yes, it's convenient. What do my job say? What about my school? What about my friends? What about emergency? Well, there are people who lived for centuries without that kind of contact. They were fine. But you see how the devil put the pressure on? I can't live without it. If it's a means to sin, we need to part with it for a season. That's the truth. That's the truth. What good is it if I have the latest technology and I'm able to communicate and make people feel good, but I'm dying on the inside? I just say, give it to the hands of somebody who's responsible, who will keep an eye on me, help me out of this mess. What God will do is, when He sees you take a step like that, even a baby step of faith and humility, He'll begin to take that desire away because He'll see that you're serious. Same thing with lucrative offers, jobs and, and promotions and all these things. When you consider the fact, is this going to lead me closer to God or is there potential that I can go away from God? Money is no longer the main thing. These are the same things over and over and over again the devil uses to slaughter people, Christian people. Because they don't see. He's trying to drag me into a situation where I'm going to be forced to do something I don't want. But God's wisdom shows us. I want to wipe this out of my life. Lord, if I know, according to Ephesians chapter 5, we need to know the Word of God, that a covetous man will not inherit the kingdom of God, I have to ask myself, how much do I love money? Because people who love money will not make it to the kingdom of heaven. God said it in Ephesians 5 and many other places. How serious do we take them? That means that I can worship, I can go to church, I can read my Bible, I can have Bible studies, but if I really, my heart jumps when I think about money, I'm a slave to money. I'm not a slave to God. Same thing with immorality, same thing with whatever abuse. Same thing with the fashion. People are into fashion. You know what it is? John, 1 John 2, 15-17 says, Do not love the world for if any man loves the world, the love of the Father is non-existent in that person. It's not there. They can say, I love God. But God says if they love the world, they don't have the love of God. So what do we do with fashion? What is fashion? God wants us to enjoy what He's given us. He doesn't want us to dress in rags. He wants us to be grateful. After all, He's the one who clothes the lilies of the field. He clothes us better than that. Amen? But our hearts are not there. You know how you know when your heart is not in fashion and you have clothing? I said this before in our meetings. When you have to go out somewhere and the very clothing that you had in mind is not available or something happened to it, instead of having a fit, you say, Lord, whatever. My job is to get your will done. You knew that something happened to this, but it could be a test for you. Some people, it's all about their makeup and their hair. God is speaking to us that we need to know what we're really about. God wants us to be genuine. That Lord, I will do whatever it takes to represent you well. 
But if something I think I need to have, quote unquote, I just got to have this because everybody else will look for that or they think something of me, that needs to die. The self is like bail in your life. We need to say no more of self. I'm here for Jesus and Jesus only. It's not about me. It's about God. Elijah was surrendered like that so he could bring the message. We have no right to tell anybody in our family or friends, hey, Jesus loves you. We don't love Him. If we love the world, the love of the Father is not in us. 1 John 2, 15, 16, 17 says this, For the lust means desires of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, what I see is what I want. This is jumping. There's not, oh, praise God, look at that. That looks nice. Father, what do you say? It's more like, that looks nice, i got to have it. Less of the flesh. I'm feeling this feeling that I need to get together with somebody today. Less of the flesh. God says, that's from the world. And then the pride of life. Elijah was a man who had none of those things. Guaranteed he had none of it. That's why he could speak the word of God with authority and God responded with fire. Don't you want that in your life? In 2023, don't you want God? Don't you want God to stand behind your words? So when you speak, things happen. And if God has backed you up on something when you're walking with God, don't you want it to continue and expand? God is about expansion. God wants you to become like Elijah. Don't throw it away. He says the pride of life. What is the pride of life? Status. It's a curse. It's a mindset that I need to be perceived as someone who's worthy to be respected. There are many people who are respected in this world, they're in hell. You know why? They don't have the respect of God. We need to make a choice and say, God, one thing I desire, that will I seek after, Psalm 27, 4. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, the glory of God, the glory of God, and to inquire in His temple. David's heart was, God, 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 I love you more than anything. I love you more than the world. I love you more than my life. Oh, God, take over me. So these are the applications God is bringing up. Elijah had a physical competition and a spiritual one. The demons were behind the people cutting themselves. Blood was pouring. They were jumping up and down and they were mocking. Elijah got the upper hand. 2023, we heard the promise of God in the new year. God will cause you to face your enemies. There will be a showdown. And He will cause you to face them. And before your very eyes, He will strip them of their power. And He'll give you the upper hand. And then He says, it's not enough. Go chase after them until they're gone. Hallelujah. God from your life. Again, before you can set the captives free in your family, you need to be free. Isn't that reasonable? How can I set a person who's in bondage free if I have chains around me? Make sure you're free. Don't assume you're free. The way you know you're free is when you don't love the world. You don't love the lust of the flesh. You don't have the lust of the eyes leading you. You don't have the pride of life. You know what you're doing day by day? There's a mortification. 
There's a crucifixion. There's an appropriation. You keep talking God's talk. You learn the language of scripture. You say, Lord, I crucify desires in the name of Jesus. Before you head out the house, say, Lord, I will be humble today. I want to represent you well. I don't want to be allured and distracted by the world. So help me God. And then remember the scriptures and bring it up. Your particular temptation, for some it may be anger, impatience. God doesn't want to hear us keep on crying and saying, oh, I have a problem with impatience. He wants us to chase after and destroy it. Do you believe that a person can live a life free of impatience? I know. It's the truth. You know why? Because Jesus didn't die on the cross so that people can be slaves to impatience. It's a dangerous thing. Why is impatience so dangerous? All we have to do is look at the life of Saul. God was sending the man of God, and this impatient man began to take matters in his own hands. It became disastrous. It was a symptom of a disease. The disease was, I want what I want when I want it. I don't care what God says. Look at the clock. God waits, so I have to do my part. Haste makes waste in the spiritual life too. I was telling somebody yesterday, people in this generation cannot wait. They cannot sit still and be quiet and listen to God. If they sit down for one minute, they think they've achieved something and they're back doing their own thing. I waited on God. We need to really quiet down and say, Lord, I need to hear you. I believe you speak. But he will not speak until we shut down. So these things must be attended to. When do you know you have victory? When the devil knocks at your door and says, you know I took you down with anger and you jumped into the argument. When he knocks on the door, nobody answers. And he goes away defeated. Because you don't argue. Because you don't get upset. God is working a work. We may think of these things as interpersonal, kind of miniature victories, but it's a big thing, as I just illustrated with the life of Saul. A little impulsivity, a little impatience, a little lack of humility can cause disaster in our lives. That's why the Bible says, the works of the flesh, again, those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Categorically, the Spirit of God has laid it out. I want you to know, do not be deceived. Don't let anyone deceive you. Say in 2023, Lord, I don't want the works of the flesh anymore. Oh, Lord, I want to be spiritual. It's not enough to say. The law is spiritual, the Word of God, but I'm carnal, souls under sin. There's a battle. That's not how Paul ended up. He said, this is the dynamic of the battle, but you have the victory through Jesus. You have the victory through Jesus. Let's finish reading this in 1 Kings 18. He made sure that they were executed. And we're in chapter 18. Seize the prophets of Baal. We're actually finishing with that, verse 40. Seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and killed them there. The words revival, when you hear the word revival, everybody has a pre-mapped thought about certain things. Due to our exposure, our experience, 
When we hear revival, we already have a, a set kind of picture. When we hear about repentance, we have a set kind of notion. When we hear about God's miracles, we have a certain notion. And there are boundaries over those things. Today, God has given the word to break all boundaries. Amen? To break all boundaries and say, God, let the world think I'm a fool. I'll be a fool for Christ. Because I know with my God, nothing shall be impossible. Shall we rise to our feet? Nothing shall be impossible. Lord, you've given us the word. With God, all things are possible. Oh God, you're leading us on the highway of holiness. You have put us on the road of righteousness. This path of the cross, in 2023, God has spoken and given the word that your enemies will be stopped by God. Your enemies will be stopped by God. Who believes it? Who believes it? I believe it. Hallelujah. Your enemies will be stopped. There will be a showdown, a confrontation as you get closer to God where all of the enemies will be face to face with you. And in front of your eyes, God will strip the enemy of all of his power. He will be a weakling before you. And not only that, when he runs, God says, go after him and get him. Hallelujah. Destroy that sin in the name of Jesus. Destroy the work of the devil in your family in the name of Jesus. No more back and forth. No more yo-yo in my life. No more vacillating between two opinions. The Lord is God. I will, I will refuse to serve myself. I refuse to love the world. I have learned that to love the world is to hate God. Friendship with the world is to be an adulterer and an adulteress before God. I refuse it. I refuse it. I will live one way. I will serve God. Who's excited about that today? Who believes it? Did God speak to us today in vain? No, He didn't. Did He give the promise in vain? No. We believe it. We believe it. We believe it. That which was left undone in 2022, God said through the prophecy. God said, I will complete in 2023. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We need to know there was a period. There was a period when Obadiah in the prophets, they had to work secretly. God has spoken this year. The Christians are coming out of the closet. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Because the closet is where the power has fallen already. The fire has fallen. The Christians have been on their faces before God. Hour after hour after hour until the fire got fell. And then they came out and the fire spread. That's how it works. That is revival. I have to face God myself. I have to look at my phone. Some of us have planners. Some of us have some apps on the phone. How much time allotted to what? We need to look, up, look at it closely. See how much time I really spend in prayer. Beloved, in every generation, every revival, Bible times in Christian history, never has a revival happened. Never has radical conversion happened. Salvation. Never has miracles just exponentially grown without somebody, even at the risk of close ones thinking they're out of their minds and putting a guilt upon them, 
They said, no, I got to pray. I got to pray. I got to get in that closet and pray. I need to see my God. Hallelujah. I need to be with my God. Hallelujah. And you know what? Five minutes that seemed to be an eternity can turn to 50 minutes. Have you ever prayed for five hours? Anyone? Five hours? Some of you have. You may have been with other brothers and sisters or by yourself. And you are so lost in God's presence. Not only did you not know how quickly the time went, you were full when you got up. Is that real or not? It's real. God is putting that in front of us and saying, do you have time for this? I guarantee you, if you have time for God like that, not five hours necessarily, but whatever time God gives you, then He's going to do what? Challenge you. In other words, if it's easy for me to spend a half an hour, you need to step it up. Not because of the quantity only, but the quality of the time. In other words, when you pray, you need to come away saying, I have been able to break through to God. I know God heard me. Amen? I know He has given me the answer. There's a prayer that has a breakthrough that when you pray, you know you've got the answer. So you're able to actually say it. God has shown me this is going to happen. Don't you want that kind of life? I want more of that life. Amen? I want more of that life. I don't want to be iffy and I don't want to think about what God moved over here. I want God to move everywhere. Hallelujah in my life. I want God to move over every member of my family. I don't want one demon that I don't chase and track down and hunt down and kill and destroy in the name of Jesus to set my loved ones free. Hallelujah. Our sons and daughters, Elijah was sent to turn the heart to the fathers, to the children, to the children, to the fathers. That's your work and my work. To reconcile your family really back to God. No lip service. No nominal Christianity. Real Christianity. The Christianity that knows I have decided to follow Jesus. You know what? When you look at their lives, you call your son and daughter. You call your husband and wife. You talk to your uncle, your cousin, your nephew, your niece. They're going to be saying, I had a wonderful time in God's presence today. That's what God's after. I tell you, nothing short of that. If you settle for, well, yeah, I skimmed through the Bible, and you get excited, yes, if they never have, it's not enough. We can go as far as we want to with God. God himself says, ask and it will be given to you. There's no limit. But how, as I started the message, the devil is a thief. He robs us. He robs us right under our noses in broad daylight. He robs us. We let him rob us. How? By not using time wisely. It should be God first. Before I attend to the business of the day, not only do I need to set this down, that I will pray to God, but I want to have a time where I have a breakthrough with God. Is that possible? How many people in practice really believe this? They say this, you know what? I think Sunday morning I can have a breakthrough. But Monday through Saturday, not so much. Is that God's design? No. We need to own up to that. Our thinking needs to change. We need to see the Word of God. As we heard the Word of God today, Lord, I want Sunday through Saturday. Sunday through Saturday. Every day has got to be a breakthrough from me. Hallelujah. So when I come to church on Sunday, there's going to be even more breakthroughs. Hallelujah. With God, there's no limit. He's the infinite God. Believe this. The promise is for you and for me. 
This year, God will cause our enemies to be stripped of their power. The demon of lust, you may come right knocking on your door. You say, get out of the name of Jesus. He'll flee in seven different directions. Hallelujah. You know what? After a while, he'll say, I can't do anything with this guy. I have to go to the next person. That's what we should be looking forward to. The devil that comes and says, well, pick up that cigarette. You know you can't do it. You have withdrawal symptoms and all this nonsense. You have to say the power of the blood of Jesus is greater than the addiction. Hallelujah. I don't have to touch this ever again. And I won't. I won't in the name of Jesus. Declaring is one thing by faith. Hearing the words, you impart the faith is one thing. Then remember the gray areas. First of all, cut out the immediate access. That's what mortification means. Secondly, be watchful of the gray areas. People that smoke in your presence when you have an addiction or you struggle with that, why put yourself at risk? You can smoke, smoke around me all day long, it won't touch me. Because I'm not bound by it. Because there are people who are bound by it. We need to know ourselves. The devil knows us better than we know ourselves, unfortunately. We need to be in the presence of God so God can show us. People have a, have a hard time restraining their behavior. They, they have this kind of a hero mentality. When they're in front of people, they have to perform. That's a bondage. Because it makes you act in ways that you regret later. You need to know when that happens. And if you're forced into such a situation, to be fully prepared, the Lord, I'm not going to sin with my tongue. You see, the spiritual life is an up and up. It's a growth. Spirit of God. God is moving one more time. God is moving one more time. God is moving one more time on the earth to fulfill this precious work. Every promise I have heard, God is moving one more time on the earth. God has spoken so much today. He's spoken so pinpointedly today. With the word of God, the promise, application after application. With what you've heard today, whatever applies to you, you're going to be held accountable for that. But you should be glad because God is a good father. He expects you to do what? Make full use of it. Hallelujah. God is moving one more time. Just like the prophets of Baal screamed with their lungs out. We need to shout. We need to declare. Do you know some people when they pray, they pray very quietly. They're different types of prayer. They whisper. You can hardly hear them. Hannah was like that. Her prayers reached the ears of God. There are others who prayed with a loud voice. God heard those prayers too. There are prayers that are prayed loudly, they don't reach heaven. You know why? No faith. No faith. There are prayers that are whispered silently, they don't reach heaven. Why? No faith. Faith is the factor. You've got to believe. So if God moves you, to pray loudly, and the word of God is coming that we should, that unity is important. We need to know that. The Spirit of God came to them in the upper room, and the Spirit of God shook the place because they, they were unified in the faith. They're all on the same page. So we're going to declare with faith, and as we have lifted our right hands before to the Lord, 
and said, Lord, I will obey your word. Hail Jesus, you're my king. Your life frees me to sing. I will praise you all my days. You're perfect in all your ways. Because of that, we have promised to God. I am expecting. God is moving me to a whole new level this year. Hallelujah. And everybody in the church entrusted to our care before God. As Pastor Kerber's prayer, my prayer, and we believe it with all our hearts. God is working mightily. We're not going to let that be shortchanged. Amen? We're going to say, Lord, if you told me to read, I'm going to read. I'm going to read. If you told me to get lost in your presence, Lord, time is not an issue, Lord. You're going to show me when and how. And I'm going to do it. When the Spirit of God moves you, the thought that comes, I should pray, a lot of people don't know. They think it's my idea. That's the Spirit of God. When God prompts you to pray, drop everything and pray. God will speak to you more. Sometimes God has shown me I had to do something, you know, I had a deadline or something. I will know clearly. God will say, kneel down and read the Bible. Times passed, years passed. I used to think, I can't do that now. I'll do it after. I disobeyed, but I learned God's voice. And every time I stopped what I was doing and I put God first and I did what He told me to do, He always made everything work out the best. Always. He's faithful. He's faithful. So we're going to shout to God. And we're going to sing this song. Remember, close your eyes. I recommend you close your eyes. The same Jesus in our midst, the Spirit of God is speaking, wants to seal this work today. Every time we're in God's presence, there's a work to be sealed. If He's going to seal it for you, you're going to believe? You're not going to look to the next person? Don't even bring anyone into the picture. That's the, as I said, a primary way the devil tries to rob you. First, make sure you are on fire for God. Pray for yourself. And then God will give you faith to see what your natural eyes cannot see in the next person. Hallelujah. God will use you to kindle the fire in your family. Let's sing the song as we close.